Good evening and welcome to this week's edition of Eye on the Triangle. It's February 14th and I'm Nick Savage. And I'm Jake Langlois and it's Valentine's Day. Whether you've been looking forward to this day or just waiting for it to be over, we thank you for tuning in. As always, we've got a great show for you. We've got some interesting male versus female perspectives, the science of love, and a few other fun Valentine's Day related tidbits. In addition, we've got some political commentary and Jake has reviewed another bad movie for our listening pleasure. Also this week, Rebecca returns with the community calendar and Dave is back with what's going on on campus and the holidays of the week. But first, here's what to expect this week weather-wise. Tomorrow we'll see sunny skies with a high in the low 60s and the low around 42. On Thursday, be sure to grab your umbrella as you head out the door because we've got a good chance of showers. The high will be around 60 and a low again right around 40 degrees. Friday will bring back the sunny weather and we'll have a high of 60 degrees and a low of 34. Saturday will be sunny with a high of 60 during the day, but cold air and showers will move in by nighttime and continue through Sunday leaving us with a high of 46 and a low of 30. Monday, however, will be clear and warmer, with a high in the mid-50s and a low stretching down to almost freezing. Now let's see what's happening in international news. Thank you, Nick, and unfortunately there is still international news to report on the day dedicated to love. So, first, Israel's defense minister blamed Iran for a series of bombings in the Thai capital of Bangkok Tuesday, a day after attacks against the country's diplomats in India and Georgia. The attempted terror attack in Thailand proves once again that Iran and its proxies continue to operate in ways of terror, and the latest attacks are an example of that, said Defense Minister Ayyub Barak, who issued the, the statement from Singapore, where he is currently traveling. Two Iranians are now in custody in Thailand, and another person is at large, the government said. Five people were injured, authorities said. The purse bomb went off in a rental house, believed to be leased by three foreigners, according to Thai police Major General Pizit Pithuzak. Next. President Barack Obama welcomed China's presumptive new leader at the White House Tuesday, but also set a firm tone for future relations between the two world powers. Obama said that with China's meteoric rise as an economic powerhouse came a responsibility to ensure balanced trade flows, referring to China's trade surpluses. The president also raised the delicate issue of human rights as a critical area of concern for the United States. We've tried to emphasize the, the, that because of China's extraordinary development over the last two decades, that with expanding power and prosperity comes with increased responsibilities, Obama said while sitting next to Chinese Vice President Xi Jinping in the Oval Office. Finally, gunmen assassinated an Iraqi army general on Tuesday in one of the several incidents that left at least four people dead and 28 wounded, according to government officials. General Aziz Hamza died after being attacked while driving in western Baghdad. Iraqi police said. In other incidents, two roadside bombs exploded in Baghdad on Tuesday, one in the Al-Mashtal neighborhood of southeastern Baghdad and the other in the Al-Bayah neighborhood in the southwestern part of the city. Six people were injured in the Al-Mashtal explosion, two suffered injuries in the Al-Bayah bombing. In addition, gunmen fired on a health ministry official in the Al-Dora district of southern Baghdad. The, the official was wounded. In Mosul, about 220 miles north of Baghdad, a car bomb exploded Tuesday outside a popular restaurant in the eastern part of the city, killing three people and wounding 19. Most of the dead were wounded. Most of the dead and wounded were civilians. Three Iraqi soldiers were among the wounded. Wooden. Now back to Nick. Thanks, DeAndre. Whether you love it or hate it, it seems everybody has an opinion on Valentine's Day. Rebecca recently went out in search of what NC State students have on their minds. Hi, I'm Rebecca, and you're listening to Soundbites, where we find answers to the most pressing questions of the day. In honor of St. Valentine, I decided to ask students about their thoughts on this most debatable holiday. First, do they believe in this holiday? And second, how would they be celebrating it? Armed with a digital voice recorder and a pile of free KNC stickers, I took to the brickyard and asked some questions. Do you believe in Valentine's Day? 
Yeah, I believe Valentine's Day. I mean, it's, it's sweet for couples, you know. Um, a day of the week, they can, like, just appreciate one another, buy nice things, be nice. But I hope that, you know, for the men, you know, they know they do that every now and then anyway. So, But it's kind of like a reminder you know, to buy something nice for the, the girlfriend or the wife. So do you have somebody that you're going to buy something nice for this Valentine's Day? Uh, not this year. I had one last year, but uh, not this year. A lot of people responded with plans with their significant other. Do you plan this Valentine's Day? Yes, I do. What do you plan on doing? plan on going and spending the night with my girlfriend and going out to dinner and I've got her a present. What did you buy her? I got her some perfume. Some people had already celebrated Valentine's Day the traditional way with a romantic comedy. Uh, we went to see The Vow and then we just hung out. That movie seems to be the movie of choice. Did you actually enjoy it or did you just go for your girlfriend? I went for my girlfriend but it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. I do. I'm going to uh, Sullivan's tonight with my girlfriend. Ooh, sounds good. Who's going to pay? We're splitting. <laughs> nice. Thank you. Then there were those people whose only date would be with D.H. Hill. Uh, probably do some homework, try to catch up on some stuff I got to do because I have no plans. Not a big day plan or anything like that. We do chemistry homework. <laughs> some people seemed on the fence about the holiday. Yes and no. I think it's a great thing to celebrate if you're in a committed relationship or even just for fun. But I think it's overhyped, uh, especially with the companies and I think they people spend way too much money especially when they don't have it. I mean I guess if you have like someone to celebrate it with but otherwise I think it's just kind of one of those holidays that you know like all the other ones seems like there's too many every year so. Here's why one student does not believe in celebrating Valentine's Day. Because I can show my love any day of the year. It seems like NC State students have a mixed view about Valentine's Day but there was one response that I have to agree with. A girl doesn't need a man to make her happy. For Eye in the Triangle, I'm Rebecca. So we all know that love will drive you mad, but there's actually a whole science devoted to figuring out just why it is love, make, love makes people do the crazy things they do. Here to shed some light on the science behind love is Mark Herring. I've heard people say that too much of anything is not good. It may start with an intriguing look, or a kiss, or a smell, but neurons fire and hormones secrete from the glands. It may seem primitive and crude to describe what happens in our bodies, but even our higher emotions derive from a physiological pathway. Despite its complex and mysterious nature, love bases itself from a natural origin. I talked to experts across campus for more insight on this biological and physical process. And first, I discussed this with Dr. James Knopp, professor in biochemistry. There are two main chemicals that you need to worry about. One is so-called PEA, or phenylethylamine, and the other one is oxytocin. Both these are involved with the mating and the sexual response, or sexual attraction, shall we say, between humans. So these chemicals, where are they produced, and how do they affect us? What kind of process do they take? 
I'm not sure that that I have the complete information on that. There's a you have a quick response, and that's the what many people might call the lust response, L-U-S-T, and that is for women, uh, they are attracted to certain kinds of men. People, for example, men which have broad shoulders and thin waists and and large muscles. Uh, we know who guys are attracted to. But anyway, so there's the hypothalamus, which recognizes these different human shapes. And there's some suggestion that there's human smell involved as well. This generates directly the molecule we talked about before, the phenylethylamine, using a, a common amino acid, phenylalanine, as its source. PEA is known as a love-at-first-sight type of hormone that causes increased pulse and breathing everything involved with Cupid's bow and arrow. However, oxytocin is responsible for the long-term monogamous romance. You have the second one, which is the oxytocin, and that's released primarily by the pituitary glands. A lot of things will initiate that, including childbirth. In fact, this is used to induce a childbirth. It's also uh, released during sexual activity and gives rise to responses of both men and women and this gives a longer term uh, this is the the being in love over a longer period of time the monogamous effects of oxytocin are rare in many species besides humans but strangely enough a small rodent called a vole secretes the same protein and due to this it acts very much like humans in a monogamous way most people probably are not familiar with them, a little um, rodent called a vole related to mice and things. And uh, only about 3% of mammals actually form monogamous bonds. And these voles are among those 3%. And so we know an awful lot, actually, about what happens in the brain as they mate and they form a monogamous bond. And uh, it's, a, it's quite a strong bond. So if their mate is taken away or dies, they show symptoms that look very much like depression. I talked to Dr. Knopp, and he mentioned the case with the voles. And he also mentioned that there are two types. There's a prairie vole and a mountain vole. And the ones in the mountains, they don't really form those monogamous bonds. But scientists have been able to trigger a part of the brain, a receptor, that makes them feel monogamous. What is that, and why does that work? Well, it turns out, so it's, it's, a, it's a very complex thing, and it's important to realize that human love is not something we, we can look at necessarily in a vault, but what we can look at is who do they prefer to be next to, who do they prefer to huddle with, and if you give a vol a choice between huddling with a partner versus a stranger, um, they'll spend a lot of time huddling, maybe cuddling, it's hard to know, <laughs> uh, with uh, their partner, be that a male or a female, some males with females, and emails with males if you give them the choice in these chambers. And what's really pretty striking about it, it's a very small genetic change that differentiates mon these voles that are monogamous versus voles that are promiscuously breeding. They actually work with a metal vole. It's, a, it's an, also a, um, one of these promiscuously breeding species. If you make their brains more like the prairie vole, this monogamous species, uh, actually just by uh, using... It's a sophisticated molecular biological technique to just make their brains responsive to a peptide, this little hormone called vasopressin, in the right place. It's actually in this um, dopamine pathway in the brain. Then you can essentially 
make them more like the prairie vole, more monogamous in their social attachment patterns. And so it's a change of a single gene in the right area of the brain. Physical stimuli, including looks and kisses, trigger these proteins in our brains, which then provoke the secretion of the neurotransmitter dopamine. This natural yet powerful drug has a tremendous effect on the human psyche and behavior, and is most linked to addiction. There's a whole range of these. Um, one of the, the striking features, if you will, is that um, a lot of the same circuits that are activated by feelings of love, lust for that matter, are actually those which cocaine would turn on. There's the old song, Addicted to Love, by Robert Palmer, I think. is pretty close Despite these chemical and physiological processes that affect our feelings and emotions, the complete secret of love is far from being cracked. However, through science, we can further our understanding on the evolutionary and biological effects of romance and affection. Happy Valentine's Day. And from Eye on the Triangle, I am Mark Herring. can't go wrong with Hathaway. <laughs> Alright, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, stick around and we'll have more when we get back. And now for those that are, let's say, still waiting for Mrs. Perfect or Mr. Right, here's 10 reasons why it's great to be single. Reason number 10, you decide how long it takes to get ready. Reason okay. number 9, oh, go ahead. Okay, so I'm Rebecca and um, we're here in the studio. We want to talk about these these uh, reasons why it's great to be single. Or I'm sorry, as we, we'd like to rename it, uh, Rebecca and I called it reasons why Jake is single. That's right. So, Jake, if you could continue with that list. All right. So, as I was saying, number 10, <laughs> you decide how long it takes to get ready, okay? That's obviously. Number 9, you can shower or bathe when you want, as often as you want, for as long as you want. Now, I know all about this because I do that all the time. You shower all the time. It's fantastic. Well, hopefully you do. <laughs> I do. A lot of people don't, and they have horrible hygiene, and I think that's disgusting. Number 8, this one's good. Say goodbye to heartache, dumping, and being dumped, because that sucks. That does suck. But also, say hello to late nights on the couch by yourself, no dates on a Friday night, and I'm sounding more pathetic as we continue. <laughs> you, you sound like you have a lot of experience with this. <laughs> I, I'm sure you've saved quite a bit of money, though, right? Looking on that side? Uh, that's probably true, even though on the dates that I go, I generally assume, we could even talk about this, that the, the, uh, the man is going to pay for my date. In fact, when I was out in the brickyard earlier uh, yesterday, that was also the general assumption made by the population of NC State. Would you boys agree with me, or what's what's your opinion about that? Does the boy pay, or does the girl pay? Yeah, definitely. Always pay. Guy pays. Mm -hmm. uh -oh, that, that's Jake. another reason. <laughs> <laughs> Got so, it. If you continue, number seven, you're getting ahead of me here. Don't no, stop getting ahead of me. Uh. You can drink what you want, where you want, and when you want. Now, a lot of people on this campus aren't over age yet, so they won't admit it, but admit it, that's... That's an advantage, number seven. Um, number six, this one I do a lot. You can meditate and have your quiet time when you need it and not have people interrupt you. You can meditate. You can meditate. Okay. And, Some you of can't, us, and you can't do that with a significant other? No, because they're, Rebecca, they're always with you. You never get personal time. <laughs> oh, you, that's you right. Never, you never do. Um, <laughs> okay. This one is probably especially, one of my personal. Especially if they're clingy. 
If yeah, you need you need or some alone time with you. Apparently, <laughs> yeah, let's not even go there. Yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> All right, number five, and this one's one of my personal favorites. Bickering couples are at best a relieving reminder, and at worst, hilarious. A relieving reminder of you know you've of, been there, of, you've done that, you okay. don't have to deal with that anymore. Yeah, that's okay. totally that. true. That's I, I you know I actually do agree with that part on the list. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, number four. The only person who goes through your stuff is you. What about your nosy roommates? What That's, about your mom when you're at home? Or your housekeeper, if you actually have one? Okay, let me rephrase that. What about There's, your maid? <laughs> there is yeah, one my less, maid goes through my stuff all the time. There is one less person who goes through your stuff. Oh, How's that? There you go. I like that. Now that you've made that revision, you it know, makes yeah. sense. Okay. okay. Especially if you're older, if you're living in a house or whatever by yourself. Okay. You, know, you leave something, it stays reasonable. there. That's right. very reasonable. Number three, I also like this one. You always get to watch what you want to watch all the time. All the time. How often have you had to change a channel or go to see, go to pay to see a movie you didn't really want to see? But, you know, if you were like, if, if it was a good couple, wouldn't you both want to see the same thing? Not always, not necessarily. This, the one problem I have with this is just like, these are great excuses to not have any human contact whatsoever. <laughs> no, you know I, what? I wasn't going to say it, Mark, but it's true. <laughs> there are some of us out there that believe that a relationship is not the only human contact that human, be, human beings need with each other. See, there's these great things called friends. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, but I, yeah, I, I get where you're going at, but it's also like, wow, I don't have to listen to my friend bicker about him going <laughs> to this movie. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, wait. So that was number three. Continue. Let's, hear, right, let's three, hear the rest. The only person spending your money is you. Think about that, huh? Especially in college when you barely have any money to begin with. This is, this is, this is true, that, I suppose. That, that is true. But I don't know. I. It's not like your girlfriend or a boyfriend. They're not going to take your money. Some might. I, I think this, <laughs> well, this all right. with the Some modern might. social structure, this would be more tailored to men. Probably, uh, yes. yeah. yeah. I mean, and this, this list is for men and women. Um, and my personal favorite, number one, you can be as eccentric as you want. Well, clearly. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? Maybe that's the reason why you're so single. No, I'm single by and choice. And let's not forget, this was just the top 10, this in, the, top 10 in the list of 100 of reasons why 101 Jake reasons. is currently single. No, why it's great to be single. Why There's it's a, great to be single. Why it's great to be single. There's a big difference. And if you have any other reasons uh, that you think are really, really crucial that we need to know, just hit us up. You can hit us on Twitter. Take it away. WKNC underscore EOT. And we're also on Facebook. So... Rebecca, you yes. went out on the brickyard and you were yes. talking to people about what they were doing for Valentine's Day. Obviously, there were a lot of people that you didn't. Uh, that I didn't share. You didn't share. But That's what true. was the general? What, what are people doing tonight? You know what? I think that most people actually said yes, that they do believe in celebrating this day. And they were a lot more optimistic about it than, I, than me, I guess, or than I thought that they would be. Um, most people are going out to eat with their significant other or watching a movie with their boyfriend or girlfriend or with friends or going home for dinner, as one girl said that she would. Okay. And you know, parents can be Valentines, too, I suppose. Sure. <laughs> and I just want to make something clear. You guys are making it sound like I'm some, you know, grumpy old stooge. <laughs> you know, I don't hate well. I don't hate Valentine's Day. There's plenty of reasons to celebrate it. I'm just saying there are plenty of reasons also to celebrate being single because look at it this way. One day you're going to meet that person and you're going to get married and you're going to have a kid. And then what? You can't, you know. And then what? I don't know. Does our well, life end? And then you're married and, for the rest of your life. And then you're happy. <laughs> so, well, my point here is there are advantages our to being Our resident cynic. Married. I'm not floor. a cynic. 
there are advantages to being single and there are advantages to being uh, in a relationship. And I'm just saying you might as well enjoy being single while you can. That's, that's true. That's, yeah, very true. I will enjoy being single and meditate exactly. and shower and, and drink shower. whenever I feel meditate like it. Meditate in you. the shower while drinking because you can't <laughs> do it when you're married. So you might as well enjoy it now. I like it. Thank you very much. <laughs> in today's heated political arena, it seems that everyone leans hard left or hard right. And for many, that's all that matters. But DeAndre Jones thinks that maybe that's not all that matters. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Valentine's Day today. So... Consequentially, I've decided to talk about a completely unrelated topic, politics. The youthful generation of our time is making me proud in this sense. The Republican nomination for presidential candidacy is approaching soon, and along with that, the presidential election. The closer and closer these dates get, the more I see our generation becoming involved with campaigning for various candidates. Student organizations are being organized, rallying for different politicians, and my fellow students are freely speaking their opinions on policies and candidates and the way this country should be ran. Nothing is more exciting to me than our generation stepping up to become great future adults and contributors to society. Of course, with the good comes the bad. Listeners, I urge you to stay away from labels such as Republican and Democrat. Think about this. When talking about politics with somebody, something that I'm sure everybody does fairly frequently, have they ever tried to sum up their political beliefs in one of those labels? As if their response of, I'm a Republican, or I'm definitely a Democrat, really means anything. There are so many Republicans that have very liberal ideals, and vice versa. Also, being part of a certain political party doesn't necessarily mean that you are qualified to lead a country, city, or represent a state in Congress. Connecticut Attorney General and Democratic Senate candidate Richard Blumenthal said, and I quote, We have learned something important since the days that I served in Vietnam, and you exemplify it. Whatever we think about the war, whatever we call it, Afghanistan or Iraq, we are a military men and women unconditional support, unquote. A New York Times investigation later found that Blumenthal never served in Vietnam and instead obtained at least five military deferments from 1965 to 1970 and took repeated steps that enabled him to avoid going to war. Hans Zeiger, Republican candidate for Congress in Washington State, commented on the deep moral threat to our country's dainty youth posed by the Girl Scouts of America. Quote, The Girl Scouts allow homosexuals and atheists to join their ranks, and they have become a pro-abortion feminist training corps. If the Girl Scouts of America can't get back to teaching real character, perhaps it will be time to look for our country's cookies elsewhere. Unquote. The two quotes that I just read show you that both Democrats and Republicans can be utterly ridiculous. Before you file yourself under a label and vote Democrat or Republican straight down the ticket, simply because of their political party, take the time to do your research in a form of valid, solid foundation of views. Thank you, and this has been DeAndre Jones with my viewpoint for Eye on the Triangle. Ron Paul is seen as a very controversial and divisive figure in GOP politics. Many call him a fringe candidate and don't believe he will be successful in his run for the nomination. However, our contributor Andrew thinks we shouldn't, be, we shouldn't count him out just yet. Presidential candidate Ron Paul has yet to win a state in the race for the Republican nomination, but his campaign still seems to think he's leading the way. Paul has repeatedly claimed to be maximizing delegates from caucus states, a surprising assertion given that by most official counts, he only has 27. Romney is much closer to the 1,144 needed to secure the nomination, with 124. Gingrich and Santorum are also both ahead of Paul, with 38 and 37 respectively. But the official counts make an assumption that every delegate will vote for the candidate to whom they were pledged. In any other election, that would be a fair assumption to make. But in this one, Ron Paul is betting everything against it. Paul may not have the most supporters, but he certainly has the most fervent. 
Unlike the others, they hold no loyalty to the party, only to the man. Ron Paul's candidacy would be the fulfillment of 40 years of American libertarianism, where the views and goals would finally reach a national audience. So when Paul tells his supporters to help him steal an election, they do it. In the caucus process, delegates are allotted by county, which are determined by precinct voters. Once the caucus is over and all the precincts have reported their votes, a delegate is picked from each county caucus to pledge their support for the winner at the Republican National Convention in August. It functions like the Electoral College. Electors are meant to represent the popular vote, but they aren't always bound by it. So Ron Paul's supporters have been actively pursuing the delegateship in counties where he hasn't won. And instead of naming Romney, Gingrich, or Santorum at the convention like they pledged, they'll name Paul. It's been speculated that this was Paul's plan since the Iowa caucus on January 3rd. The doctor's cheerfully cryptic remarks after every election suggested that he had something up his sleeve and has no intent of dropping out anytime soon. However, the media has ignored this, just as they've been accused of ignoring the man himself. Citing his losing streak and fluctuating national popularity, the Paul campaign has been depicted as a phenomenon steadily losing whatever momentum it had in the first place. But in the past week, his strategy has received minor attention. What was once a secret amongst Paul supporters, documented only on freedom sheets circulated around caucuses, listing potential delegates who would turn their vote, may soon be known nationwide. But Paul's campaign seems unworried about their subterfuge being revealed, with senior campaign advisor Doug Weed openly admitting to this tactic on The Rachel Maddow Show three days ago. There's nothing wrong or deceptive about this. Anyone can stay, Weed says. Our people show up and they have the right to do that and they're committed so they're running as delegates at the precinct to the county convention where they will again run as delegates from the county convention to the state convention. The true number of delegates Paul or any other candidate has is unknown. However, Paul's campaign has released enough figures to suggest that he very well could win the nomination given that at least two others stay in the race. Should this tactic stay quiet, the eventual revelation of this stolen election will be quite a spectacle. Riots have occurred at the Republican National Convention before, but they have never been put on by the supporters of losing candidates who were sure they were winning. Now, everyone knows Valentine's, this week for Valentine's Day, but 1945 was a very memorable event that happened uh, in Germany. It was the firebombing of Dresden. Between February 13th and 15th, the United States dropped more than 40,000 tons 4,000 tons of high-explosive bombs and incendiary devices on the city. In that conflict was Kurt Vonnegut. And from an excerpt from his novel, Slaughterhouse-Five, we have him reading a recount of what the war should be like in a more peaceful world. Billy Pilgrim could not sleep on his daughter's wedding night. He was 44. The wedding had taken place that afternoon in a gaily striped tent in Billy's backyard. The stripes were orange and black. Billy padded downstairs on his blue and ivory feet. He went into the kitchen where the moonlight called his attention to a half bottle of champagne on the kitchen table. All that was left from the reception in the tent. Somebody had stoppered it again. Drink me, it seemed to say. So Billy uncorked it with his thumbs. Didn't make a pop. The champagne was dead. So it goes. He went into the living room, swinging the bottle like a dinner bell. Turned on the television. 
He came slightly unstuck in time. Saw the late movie backwards. Then forwards again. Then forwards again. Then forwards again. It was a movie about American bombers in the Second World War. And the gallant men who flew them. He came slightly unstuck in time. Seen backwards by Billy, the story went like this.
specialists in remote areas. It was their business to put them into the ground to hide them cleverly so they would never hurt anybody ever again. music file with uh, the recording when I was sophomore in English class so uh, high school not 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 oh, college wow. so quite a while ago but um is a really really awesome piece really and well done it's a uh, really um, exemplary of the the book it's kind of this guy Billy Pilgrim who is more or less Vonnegut uh, writing about himself and having this crazy sort of PTSD um, after being in the firebombing of Dresden, he was uh, a prisoner of war, and he was held in a slaughterhouse, Slaughterhouse Five. Um, they they refer to it as like Slaughterhouse Five or what, however you'd say it in German. But um, it's uh, crazy just t- thinking about all the imagery uh, that Vonnegut had had seen himself, and and it's, how, just, it's him reading, you know, and they put some funky music over it. Yeah, exactly. But um. Overall, I, I just really like that piece because it, you think about it and you think about how pointless war is. And he, he, he really uh, illustrates that with you know, the backwards uh, imagery, which I think is really awesome. It was well done. Well, this week, Jake has braved yet another horrendous movie that for some reason or another, you've just got to see. Look for horror movies made in the 1980s, and you'll find a whole host of flops just awaiting your viewing pleasure. And among these movies, there is one undisputed king, a movie so awful it has attracted legions of fans around the world and has become king among cult classics. Troll 2 is notorious as being one of the best, worst films ever made, and it is a title that is well-deserved. This infamous horror flick chronicles a tale of a family that decides to vacation in the Utah mountain town of Nilbog, only to discover that the town is in fact full of goblins, waiting to turn humans into plants to feast on the unsuspecting victims. And by the way, Nilbog is goblin spelled backwards. This little gem was the brainchild of Claudio Fragoso, an Italian filmmaker that imported his own Italian crew into the United States for the production of this film. Now, Fragoso spoke no English, and apparently neither did anyone else on his crew. This made it very difficult for the actors to communicate with anyone else related to the actual production of the movie. In addition, the screenplay was also written by Fragoso, who insisted that it be read verbatim in the film. And believe me, it shows. The dialogue in this film is some of the worst I have ever seen anywhere. Now, I'm not a filmmaker, but I have this vague notion that when writing a script for a movie, a basic understanding of the English language comes in handy. 
But as bad as the dialogue in this film is, the acting might quite possibly be even worse. All of the characters in this film were played by non-actors, and the, and the delivery of the lines is just terrible. Now, for anyone even remotely familiar with this film, actor Darren Ewing delivers one of the most infamous lines ever delivered in modern-day cinema. They're eating her! And then they're going to eat me! Truly masterful writing. And then, of course, there are the goblins. Not trolls, but goblins. In fact, there is not a single troll in the whole movie. The goblins are little more than burlap sacks with rubber masks for faces, and trust me, these things are really ugly. They have the power to disguise as human beings and entice them with lime green food that turns people into plants. Because everybody knows that goblins are vegetarians, right? Anyway, so people turn to some kind of green chlorophyll goo, which is then devoured by the goblins. This is the gist of the whole movie. And in the meantime, there is this creepy old lady that controls the goblins. Why? I don't know. But she's in one of the creepiest and most bizarre seduction scenes I've ever seen. What's the matter? Aren't you hungry? <laughs> uh, actually, I like popcorn. Well, no problem. All we have to do is heat it up. I'll just say this, there's lots of 80s hair and lots and lots of popcorn. If you're looking for the perfect movie to complement the perfect Valentine's Day, ladies and gentlemen, might I humbly suggest Troll 2. Today might be Valentine's Day, but it's not the only thing worth celebrating this week. Here's Dave with the Holidays of the Week. Hello, it's me again. Welcome to Holidays of the Week. Today is Tuesday, Ferris Wheel Day, and Frederick Douglass Day, so try to ride a Ferris wheel this evening if you can find one. Tomorrow is Susan B. Anthony Day, so thank a nurse. Thursday is Innovation Day, so you can invent something or simply create a new way to eat ice cream and then let me know what you come up with. Friday is World Human Spirit Day. I'm not sure of the details, but try to pay it forward or something like that, I guess. Saturday is Battery Day in honor of Alessandro Volta's birthday, and it's also Cow Milked While Flying in an Airplane Day. That really happened in 1930. Sunday is Chocolate Mint Day and Iwo Jima Day. Monday is President's Day and Love Your Pet Day, and if you have a pet named Jackson or Jefferson, you could love a presidential pet. Well, that should do it for our holidays this week, so thanks for listening. And go celebrate your way through the week. Oh yeah, and have a happy Valentine's Day. It seems there's always something going on around Raleigh worth checking out. Here's Rebecca with Eye on the Arts. Hello, and welcome to Eye on the Arts. My name is Rebecca, and this is where I tell you what's going on in the arts community every week. A group of community leaders, artists, and visionaries are enlivening vacant downtown Raleigh spaces with art installations. The group is called BEST, which stands for Beautifying Emerging Spaces Together. Its vision? To transform empty storefronts and spaces using vibrant works of art. 
The volunteer-led group hopes to define Raleigh as a modern southern city by showcasing the creativity and ingenuity of a diverse community. Best's collaborative model engages artists and property owners in its mission to share art with the people of Raleigh. Its first installment can be found at The Hue, an upscale apartment building that struggled to fill its spaces several years ago. Built as a mixed-use property, empty office spaces plagued its main floor. Suite 50 of The Hue was one of those spaces, until Best filled it with colorful artwork created by the studio Art House for Kids. The group celebrated its first completed project on February 3rd's First Friday event. If you'd like to learn more about the vision behind this initiative, visit www.RaleighEmergingSpaces.com. My name's Rebecca. Thank you for listening to Eye on the Arts. Coming up in... uh, Sorry. Next, here's what's going on around campus. Hello, and welcome to this week's community calendar. This is Dave. Tomorrow from 4 to 5, the Amazing Alumni Series will continue with a talk from Barbara Mulkey about being a successful engineer in North Carolina. That will take place in the auditorium in D.H. Hill Library and is open to the public to attend. The NC Writers Cafe reading will take place tomorrow from 7 to 9 in Witherspoon Student Center, room 126. Tomorrow evening from 7.30 to 9, author of the Jane Austen Book Club, Karen Joy Fowler, will have a reading at the Craft Center in Thompson Hall. On Thursday, Dr. Jennifer Campbell will be moderating a discussion about Hal Herzog's book titled Some We Love, Some We Hate, Some We Eat, Why It's So Hard to Think Straight About Animals. This will take place at the Cameron Village Public Library from 7 to 8. On Saturday, Dr. Robert Darnton of Harvard University will deliver a lecture on blogging now and then, 250 years ago, from 10 to 11 a.m. in Withers 232A. Also on Saturday, from 2 to 4, Cameron Village Public Library will be screening the short film Disneyland Dream, and Brian Wilson will be discussing the history of Disney's theme park. Also, also on Saturday, the Cashore Marionettes will be performing puppet shows at 3 o'clock and 8 o'clock at Titmus Theater in Thompson Hall. Second to lastly, but not second to leastly, University Theater will be presenting the musical Rent from tomorrow through Sunday. For information on times and tickets, visit ncsu.edu arts. And of course, Witherspoon Student Cinema will be screening Immortals, Puss in Boots, and Shrek this weekend. You can check out times and prices at ncsu.edu slash cinema. That'll do it for this week's community calendar. For more information on any of these events, please visit the calendar page at ncsu.edu. Thanks for listening, and have a good one. Coming up in March is the Racing the Cure event. So, Rebecca, you know a little more about this. What's going on? That's right. Racing the Cure is actually a 16-band benefit concert for Oliver Gant. Oliver Gant is a two-year-old little boy. His dad, Jedediah Gant, um, runs NewRaleigh.com. He is their downtown editor for that website. And um, this is going to be a really big event because the Avett Brothers and the Love Language are actually headlining this event. And uh, let's see. It is going to be Friday, March 23rd, and it's going to be at three separate places in downtown Raleigh. It's at King's Barcade, the Poorhouse, and Tiernanog. And uh, 
The only thing is, this event actually was sold out in 10 minutes. So when you put a show like this out there、um, for all of Raleigh to buy tickets for,、uh, with the Avert Brothers headlining and the Love Language, and then 14 other bands, you're going to get a lot of ticket sales. So let's see, some of the other bands that are going to be there are Annuals,、um, Gross Ghost, Hammer No More, The Fingers, Ivan Rosebed, and John Yu, Jack the Radio, Lonnie Walker, The Old Ceremony, and a couple more bands. So this is going to be an amazing event. And、uh, they've already raised about $25,000 in initial ticket sales. And like I said, the event is going to be, or the event has already sold out. But if you look at newraleigh.com, I believe they are considering opening up the event for another venue to increase their ticket sales and increase、um, the donations or the fundraising for this little boy. Oliver Gant was diagnosed with cancer last February. And he's already had two surgeries. He's had numerous rounds of chemotherapy and he's continuing to fight against the disease. So it's going to offset some of the costs for his parents, Jed and Stacey Gant. And、uh, also, some of the funds are going to be going towards Caring Bridges, which is a, an organization that has really helped out the family. So, like I said, Jed Gant, he's the downtown editor of NewRaleigh.com and he also does a lot of things for the community. It's going to be a really amazing event. It is Racing the Cure. You can find out more about it on NewRaleigh.com. And here's hoping that they open up the show to another venue so that we all can go. Thanks for that, Rebecca. Now for the answer to last week's riddle. The answer is the state of Iowa. It's the state that contains the cities named Madrid, Toronto, Cincinnati, Denver, Hartford, and Norway. For this week's riddle, we're looking for a specific type of flower. In Texas, they're called tarragons. In South America, they're made into perfume. And in England, you put these on to wash dishes. What is the common name for these flowers? If you know the answer, be sure to tell us on our Facebook page. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that just made you think, let us know on our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. Also, be sure to check out our blog at WKNC.org. Well, that's all we have for now. We thank you for tuning in. Until next week, you have a happy Valentine's Day. And good night.